Hey y'all, welcome to the fourth episode of Raising the Bar. Thank y'all for joining me today. Um, this episode, and, and I said it on IG, I said it on Instagram, but I think this episode is going to be a, a real heavy one, um, but I definitely think it's necessary. We're talking about this country's inability to pass anti-lynching legislation <laughs> today. Uh, this country has been trying for 100 years to pass federal anti-lynching um, legislation just recently there was actually I think both house and senate versions of the bill of an anti-legislation bill I think the senate version just got more traction in the media um, and the senate version was introduced by senators the three black senators Harris Booker and Scott um, but before we get into that of course let's start our let's start with an affirmation I actually got this from one of my good friends, um, Latasha. She sent it to me. So thank you. Um, thank you for all to all of my friends that have supported me. Like I've gotten so much support um, since I started this, and it's amazing. Whether that's listening to the first episode. Y'all, my first, very first episode, I sound like a Girl 6 ad. It was horrible. <laughs> but thank y'all. Thank y'all for just listening, for feedback, for buying t-shirts, for following me on Instagram. I appreciate all of this. Um, you know, if you don't know, the website is www.rtbpodcast.com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram at One RTB Podcast. So yeah, let's get into the affirmation. This affirmation was actually um, tweeted by a wonderful woman named Alexandra L, and she's on uh, she's on Twitter at underscore Alex L, and that's A L E X E L L E, and it says, "I am whole. I am enough." My life is abundant. Waking up is a blessing. I am grateful for the days I am granted to show up and start over if needed. I am whole. I am enough. My life is abundant. And this really resonated with me, especially the waking up is a blessing. And I'm grateful for the days I'm granted to show up and start start over if needed. You know, I've been going through a transition in my life personally, and I'm telling you, some days you just have to take it one day at a time. People ask me, ask me about, you know, something that's happening in like four weeks, and I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not there right now in life. Like, I can deal with Monday. If today is Monday, let me deal with Monday, and then you treat each day. The next day on Tuesday, the Lord will wake you up. I'm grateful for being alive, waking up is a blessing. And it also gives me an opportunity to keep moving, to start over if I need to. Um, and so I, I truly appreciative of this affirmation. Again, this is by Alexandra L and she's at underscore A-L-E-X-E-L-L-E. Um, and I think that sometimes we just need to be reminded that waking up is a blessing and every day we have the opportunity to start over again. It's never, ever too late. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so up next, we'll just start our discussion with the anti-lynching anti legislation. Before we begin, I'm going to say I definitely took... I was naive. I was naive... Um, 
when it came to just how gruesome, how egregious, how public lynchings were. Um, and it, this was a very, very um, hard episode to research for. But um, yeah, so like I said before, the senators Harris, Booker, and Scott introduced a bill and the title of the bill is Justice for Victims of Lynching Act of 2018. And there's a House version also. Um, I think in that version was proposed or introduced by Representative Rush. And the purpose of the legislation is to enhance sentences under hate crime statutes for lynching specifically. And so if someone is you know, accused of lynching someone, they would get enhanced sentencing. Um, it was, it's considered a hate crime, but you know, the, the purpose of the legislation is to specifically identify lynching for enhanced sentencing guidelines. And, you know, in the, in the bill, um, the bill is, it's a very short bill. It's a fairly short bill. Most of the bill talks about, um, this country's failure to do something, which seems, <laughs> funny. But anyway, most of, most, most of the bill actually talks about just the findings and the historical importance around passing a bill uh, for anti-lynching. But one of the things that I wanted to point out, a couple of things that, that, that's in the bill. So it says, crime of lynching is the ultimate expression of racism in the United States following Reconstruction. This was also in the apology. So in 2005, the Senate actually issued an apology, not legislation, but an apology for failing to do so. Uh, I have so many things I can say about that, but we're just going to keep moving on. Um, it's also in the bill, they mentioned, you know, lynching occurred throughout the United States with document, documented incidents in all but four states. So this wasn't just in the South, but primarily um, most of the lynchings occurred in the South. At least 4,742 people, predominantly African-Americans, were lynched in the United States between 1882 and 1968, 99% of the, um, the perpetuators escaped punishment by state and local officials. So the purpose of making this a federal law is that, you know, in the event that the state decides not to do something, that the federal government would be able to do something and, you know, have enhanced sentencing guidelines. There have been nearly 200 anti-lynching bills introduced in Congress during the first half of the 20th century, 200, and none of them, you know, has passed both houses and become law. And the bill specifically mentions the publication without sanctuary lynching photo photography in America that, and they, the bill says that this book has brought, you know, greater awareness and proper recognition of the vi victims of lynching. And that, you know, during, and, and this is why I was going to, this is where my just, I think, ignorance and just my, I really did not understand that there were postcards of black people being lynched and they were giving out, you know, they, they used to disseminate those during the lynching. They had lynching parties, you know, the, the publications, newspapers published, you know, oh, uh, this person will be lynched in one week. Come one, come all and, and, and come, you know, look at this. Um, it, 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 it's, I'm speechless, honestly. And for a podcast, it's not a good thing to be speechless. Um, is it also important that as of today, no Republicans have backed this bill. 
And we're going to talk about, yeah, we're going to talk about that. But I can say historically that many of the Southern um, Democrats at the time, the Southern states, they backed the bill. I mean, they, I'm sorry, they proposed, sorry, opposed this bill. Good gracious. Um, many of, historically, it was the Southern states who prevented this from happening. And largely, they said that this should be a state issue, and it shouldn't be up to the federal government to prosecute for this crime. And as you can see, the states weren't doing it. Uh, so um, up next, we're going to talk about, just to give you some historical perspective of lynching, um, talk about the fact that women were lynched too, uh, talk, talk about some of the early beginnings of, you know, the NAACP actually was born out of an ant of the anti-lynching movement. Um, and we're going to talk about, you know, ways in which we can move forward. You know, the Equal Justice Initiative is doing a lot of great work in this area. And I am, you know, a large... I think piece or component of the EJI's anti-lynching piece is that we need to confront our past so we can move forward. And it's about truth and reconciliation. That's a big thing that Brian Stevenson, you know, the founder of EJI um, says is about truth and reconciliation. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I can't ever see this being um, legislation passing, especially, we you know, probably not under this administration, but uh, stay tuned and, and, you know, we'll talk about the rest of that. So I don't know if you're, you're like me, where I honestly thought lynching was before I started the research. It was someone being pulled from their home in the middle of the night and, you know, kidnapped and, you know, strung up to a tree and, you know, you had you know, a very, a fairly small sized crowd that was coming to witness this. And that was it. I don't, I don't know why I romanticize, frankly, lynching. And maybe that's just the way what U.S. does to you. I don't, I don't know why I didn't think that this was a, a, this was accepted. This was an accepted form of vigilante justice that was Printed in the news media, it was people, it, it, I read the case of one person who was actually taken out of a jail. Um, he was taken out of the jail and lynched and the, you know, the authorities claimed they couldn't do anything. I'm not, I'm not sure why I didn't, you know, and I remember, you know, seeing all of the, the pictures of like all of these people, thousands of people surrounding, you know, this person that's strung up by a noose and, you know, seeing the young white children laughing. And, you know, I actually read an article where they call it Negro jerky. I don't know why. And this the sheer terrorism as a result of this, you know, here it is 2018. And for the most part, as far as this form of lynching, I probably won't be lynched. This form of lynching. We'll talk about like the modern form of lynching or what I think is still the modern form of lynching. But this form of lynching, I probably, I'm not in any imminent danger or threat. So I can't imagine being a black person in the late 1800s, early, late 1800s, early 1900s 
that had to deal with this. You know, my grandmother was born in 1925 and my grandfather was born in 1927. And as I read this, all I could think about was them and why they left the South. So, you know, like as we said, most of, most of lynchings took place in the South. And, you know, lynchings, it was terrorism. It was used as a way to keep black people in check. Um, it was a threat that hung over black people who knew that for any reason whatsoever, you could be killed and your killers would never be brought to justice. And I'm using the word justice hella loosely here today. Um, there were, like I said, there were almost 5,000 victims of lynching between late 1800s and mid 1900s. Um, Mississippi had the highest lynchings from 1882 to 1968. They had about 581. Georgia was the second with 531 lynchings. And also I will say, you know, when you think about the picture of lynching and when you have that image in your mind, you think of black men, but women were also lynched too, and they were often raped beforehand. Um, between 1880 and 1930, close to 200 women were murdered by lynch mobs in the South. So this is something that's definitely not, you know, exclusive to black men. Um, and, you know, we talked about lynching had a profound impact on race relations in this country. And, you know, just just the terror of, of possibly being lynched fueled mass migration of black people from the South into the you know, North and West. So we're talking millions of people who left the South because they feared being lynched. Um, there are many, and I don't want to use reasons because I hate to use the word reasons, but when you think of you know, what may have circumstances surrounding lynchings, and, and EJ, I had a great report on this. Um, there were about six EJI um, uh, stated or named six circumstances surrounding lynching. And the first one, uh, lynchings largely resulted from a wildly distorted fear of interracial sex. So it, it of course, is white woman, black man. And so about 25% of lynchings, lynchings was, were the result of this black man, this heinous, violent black man is going to kill my white, perfect woman, right? It was, it could have, or the second one was lynchings in response to causal, um, casual social transgressions. So it could be just as something as simple as saying hi or smiling to someone uh, based on allegations of serious violent crime, public spectacle lynchings. I saw that, um, where they had like a lot of newspaper clippings in the EGR article or report that talked about, you know, sometimes it was just for, it was a spectator sport. Um, lynchings that escalated into large scale violence targeting the entire African American community and lynchings of sharecroppers, ministers, and community leaders who resisted mistreatment, which were common. And that was common between 1950 and 1940. And it's important to note that many victims of, you know, lynchings were murdered without being accused of any crime. And sometimes it wasn't even, you know, an accused crime. It was because that person demanded basic rights and fair treatment. And so lynching, honestly, just it just perpetuated and it, it extended slavery and it perpetuated the idea that African-Americans are property. 
And we, and African-Americans did not deserve due process, did not deserve, we're not human. The humanity was just non-existent. So there's also a very unique legal history when it comes to lynching. Um, and when it comes to the anti-lynching movement, you know, black women were at the forefront of the anti-lynching movement. Um, you know, Ida B. Wells, right? She is a, a prominent figure in the anti-lynching movement history. You know, back in 1892, she produced a pamphlet and it was, you know, called Southern Horrors Lynch Law in all its phases. And in, and in it, she actually tried to combat, you know, that age old, you know, the black man is, is, is destroying and raping white women. So therefore we need to, you know, bring justice, we need to bring them to justice and kill them. She tried to combat that, you know, and, and she wrote that it was foolish to think in the South that a black man would risk his life to rape a white woman. And, and that honestly, what we need to be worried about is white men perpetuated sexual violence against black women. You know, how do we, I, for the life of me, I think it's like, how do we get all of these biracial children back in the day? But yeah, I, um, and I, and after she actually published that column in 1892, um, there was a, a mob that actually came to her office in Memphis and destroyed her printing press and, you know, of course threatened her and, you know, that did not deter her whatsoever. Um, went on to do, you know, to become one of the, you know, integral forces in the anti-lynching movement. Um, so let's talk about Congress or this country's inability to pass an anti-lynching legislation. So the first anti-lynching legislation was actually, um, it was introduced by Dyer, um, Leonidas C. Dyer, and he presented one of the most famous anti-lynching bills in the House. Um, his bill intended to punish authorities that failed to produce, um, prevent lynching and was designed to act as a deterrent. And, you know, basically it, it's the same. And, 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 you know, spoiler alert, it was the same thing as being produced or proposed um, or introduced in 2018. Um, and he was hoping, Dyer was hoping that it would end the practice. Um, his bill ultimately died in the Senate, Senate after facing stiff, stiff opposition um, I believe that at the time the senators, they, they filibustered it. Um, but he went on to introduce this again in 1920, 1921, 1923, 1925, in order to help Dyer's efforts, there was actually um, a group of black women, a group of um, middle-class black women who started a campaign that it was a six-month campaign from July 1st of 1922 to December, December 31st of 1922. And their goal, they were called anti-lynching crusaders, and their goal was to raise $1 million and enlist 1 million people, 1 million anti-lynching supporters. And, you know, they were actually mentioned in the House version of the bill um, in the press release. Representative Rush mentioned them. And, you know, the ALC, I think, is just an important, it's, it's very important to uplift the ALC, the anti-lynching crusaders, and the, you know, Ida B. Wells. Because black women, I think, more often than not, 
are often forgotten in history, I think. You know, the AOC was definitely backed by the NAACP. Um, but, you know, it was, can you imagine in 1922 with the disparities, you know, just in, in gender justice, um, you know, much to less being a white woman was relatively hard. And, you know, imagine being a black woman. And, you know, the AOC was an all-black women's organization. Um, their slogan was a million, a million women united to stop lynching. And, you know, it was... I can only imagine how much it would take to, you know, to raise a million dollars back then. But, you know, definitely wanted to uplift the work of, you know, the black women who were at the forefront of the anti-lynching movement. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for their, their vision, their uh, courage. Um, you know, in the time of, like I said, I can I can only imagine the amount of terror and um, just trauma that Black people had to deal with on a daily basis. So you know I definitely commend them. So you know just following up with the this bill in the um, the the history of this bill and the Congress in Congress the House passed bills in 1937 and 1940, but they were killed by Senate filibusters as well. Um, in 1952, FDR's son, he tried and failed to pass anti-legislation in 52, 53, 55, and 57. Um, and then in 2005, the Senate issued an apology. <laughs> Not legislation, but an apology. And I didn't even bother printing out the apology because it's just that, an apology and... I'm not sure what the victims of lynching or their descendants could do with that, but you know, you can definitely Google if you would like to read the apology, the Senate apology. Sure, go right ahead. So up next, <laughs> we're going to do a brief discussion, um, continue the discussion, and then talk about ways in which we can raise the bar. asked myself this um, while preparing for this episode, why could it be so difficult in 2018 to pass a law that would condemn the act of lynching and give people, you know, stricter sentences or enhanced sentences in the event that they lynched someone? And the only answer that I could come up with is that we're still on the same bullshit. That's the only thing I can come up with. That this country is built on the idea that white people are supreme, white supremacy, and that you know we have fundamental institutions that perpetuate white supremacy and, and they don't want it to look any different. I can't come up with anything else. And if you can come up with the reason of why we cannot pass an anti-lynching let them statute 100 years after we initially tried, please email me at iman at rtbpodcast.com. Help me out with it because I, I have no other way of um, reconciling in my mind why it's so difficult, why no Republicans have backed the bill. When you look at, you know, the 
grotesque and violent images of people being burned alive, of people being poked and prodded, of people being hung. When you look at that and you see and you can just imagine the fear, the fear in the air and, and you can smell it just by looking at the picture and we still can't pass a, a, you know, a statue that says this is wrong this is one of the most extreme expressions of white supremacy and racism since slavery, but now nah, we still can't pass it. You know, I don't know if you all remember, there's a, there's a picture of a flag that says a man was lynched yesterday. And um, this is a, is a widely circulated picture, but between 1920 and 1938, the NAACP um, flew this flag from the window on their Fifth Avenue headquarters in New York City when a lynching took place. Um, and most recently, someone decided to kind of remix the flag. And I think it's on a lower, I think it's in Manhattan, but it's just um, downtown, a little further downtown from where the um, NAACP offices were. And it says, a man was lynched by the police today. I think that's what it says. Something to that effect. Um, and, you know, while we may not have, or while lynching or stringing people up by trees may not be the, the chosen method, today's chosen, chosen method, we're still being terrorized in the name of justice. So when you think of the act of lynching, right, and you think of the act of lynching of pre preserving the status quo, you have people doing it in the name of justice where they viewed that this black person, or in some cases there were white people lynched and more likely than not that white people was, you know, um, allies, black allies, allies of black people. Um, so you have this person being killed violently in front of a lot of people in the name of justice. I can say that there's a lot of parallels by what we see today. And I can, and you know, there's a, a, a huge, a very valid argument that police are playing the same role that, that lynch mobs did back in the day. And you have this threat um, that, you know, because it's the same conversation that we have to have with our young black children, boys and girls, about, you know, especially when they start to drive and how, how you conduct yourself when you're pulled over. You know, I have a son. My son is one years old. And I can't imagine having that conversation with my son. And so that same fear of, of my child, or even me, because it happens to black women, that same fear that we have as black people of just um, something being done in the, in the name of justice, I think is, is still a very, very present threat today. You know, um, the Equal Justice Initiative, they had a sentence in their report that I wanted to uplift, and it was... It was the administration of criminal justice in particular is tangled with the history of lynching in profound and important ways that continue to contaminate the integrity and fairness of the justice system. Until we confront and examine the connection and relationship between post-slavery America, well, hell, this is still post-slavery America, but many of the um, policies, laws, practices, cultures, you know, all of that, you know, white supremacist things that, that, you know, were enacted to keep white people in power 
and we connect it to the way that certain institutions play themselves out, then we're always going to be stuck in this, you know, in this culture of denying our past, of, you know, it's going to be cyclical. We'll keep having these issues. And until we examine, you know, the connection, especially with our criminal justice system and the fact that this, this, the disparities, you know, there's a, a, there is a quote by Jeff Chang and it says, cultural change is often the dress rehearsal for political change. And what that means is we need to have cultural change before we can have any political change. And, you know, you look at just the waves of, you know, political change we have in this country with civil rights, with, you know, gay marriage, with many of those things. And we had for a long time, decades of people fighting to change that. Um, And, you know, just the very fact that we're unable to make this political change you know, pass anti-lynching legislation for a hundred years really makes me wonder whether or not we are, whether or not our culture has shifted enough, especially with, you know, this presidential administration, especially with the things we saw in Charlottesville, especially, you know, what we see every single day, um, you know, people being killed by police, it's all of this. Um, it really just makes me wonder whether or not And, you know, there are many different indications, I think, of us not being or our culture just not being to the point to where we are okay with this political change. Um, You know, there is, you know, when you look at this, you know, the Trayvon Martin story, and I know that, you know, they have the Jay-Z, the joint on with George Zimmerman now. But you look at that, you look at the stand your ground laws, um, you know, how they are you know, basically being uplifted and and justified in in killing people. And so there are many different indications of why I think our culture or why our society is maybe not past, you know, the lynching sentiments. And that's, and and in 2018, that is a mind blower. It really, really, really is. So what can you do? Well, of course, um, you can contract, contract, contact your representative and tell them in, in, you know, tell them to pass this bill. It's called the um, Justice for Victims of Lynching Act of 2018. So that's one of the things that you can do. There's also many organizations that I think work on this um, this topic. Um, there's all there's an organization called the Civil Rights and Restorative Justice Project at Northeastern University School of Law, and they conduct research and policy initiatives on anti-civil rights violence in the United States and other miscarriage of justice. But they just focus on 1930 and 19, 1930 through 1970. And so, you know, they, they have um, helped many families of lynching victims. Um, and also, I think this is probably the most well-known, but the Equal Justice Initiative. Brian Stevenson has done a great job in, in communicating the importance of understanding, facing, and reconciling with our past, especially when it comes to lynching. And, you know, EJI just opened, or not just opened, it's been open for a while, but there's a National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And it's the memo- a memorial to victims of lynching. Um, it's open in Alabama. And they have the names of thousands of victims. 
They're engraved on columns, and I believe there are about 800 columns, and each column represents a county in the United States where a lynching took place. So, you know, this was a, a rather difficult episode for me, but I hope that you learned something, and I hope that you can take away something from this episode. Um, yeah, you can visit us on www.rtbpodcast.com. You can visit us on Facebook and Instagram at One RTB Podcast. Please, please, please review, 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 and subscribe. Um, I look forward to hearing your feedback on this this episode. Um, and yeah, I will. I'm definitely with the midterms. I think I'm going to focus on another voting, especially after the foolishness in Georgia. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to focus on that because we got to get ready for these midterms, y'all, because they are acting up. They're showing out. They really, really are. Um, yeah, it's going to be a very, very eventful November, y'all. So I look forward to talking to y'all again, talking to y'all again. Be blessed.